Hey, what's up, everyone? Pete Forsey, the podcast. We got episode 11 here for you. I'm really sorry that we didn't have one last week. Poor planning on my part. It got to be Thursday, and by that time, March Madness had rolled around. I knew that most of your attention would be there, so I decided let's just push it back. We'll talk about MLB contracts later on, and that's what this week is going to serve. We're going to talk anything from Mike Trout to the new signings that we're seeing now. Paul Goldschmidt and the Cardinals, they get have an extension in place. He's going to be a St. Louis Cardinal through his age 36 season. And then, of course, the NFL. We got rule changes happening just yesterday evening, and then Rob Gronkowski retires. We got a lot to get to. Let's get into it. Episode 11 of the podcast. I must backtrack a little bit before we begin on this week's news because I didn't have a chance to speak last week. Um, again, a little bit of poor planning on my part, but the biggest story come out of baseball last week was Michael Trout, Los Angeles Angels star center fielder, star of baseball, signs a 10-year, $360 million extension with the Angels out in Anaheim. I think... This is outstanding for all parties. It's great for baseball. It sets the market just as it theoretically should with the best player getting paid the most money and the highest average annual value, a tick over $35 million. Just an outstanding deal. He is worth every penny. And it just furthers the point from those that suggested it earlier in the winter and really for a few years now as the Angels have not won a lot of games in the American League West, those that suggested that the Angels should explore a trade for Mike Trout because they're not maximizing his prime years and that they can get a very large haul of prospects back in return for him. I I don't understand these folks because it's just a, a negligence in how you're evaluating just how good Mike Trout is. There was a lot of Manny Machado, Bryce Harper sweepstakes, this past winter and a lot of data that was thrown out there really just kind of showing you how special they are. And they are special. Machado, Harper, both with the Padres, Phillies respectively now, got paid very handsomely, got paid at historic numbers just as they should because they are that good. The problem with that, though, in comparison with Mike Trout, is that there really is no comparison. Mike Trout, if you look at Fangraph's war, which I have said, again, I'm not a big fan of war, but I do think it's a good benchmark. I think it's a good starting point when evaluating players, but when you come to splitting hairs, I think it should be thrown out the window. Mike Trout's Fangraph's war compared to Machado and Harper, all of whom entered the league in 2012, their first full seasons, it's not even close. Harper and Machado are at 30. Mike Trout is at 60. Mike Trout is going to be a Mount Rushmore Hall of Famer. This isn't Carlos Beltran. This isn't these other guys that just kind of eke their way in. And to their credit, they are Hall of Famers. If you make the Hall of Fame, that's a great achievement no matter how you do it. But there's a difference between someone like Carlos Beltran and a Mount Rushmore Hall of Famer. Mount Rushmore Hall of Famers, you do sign to 10-year contracts. You do hug them tight and don't let them go. Because those are the guys that age well. Those are the guys that do hit deep into their age 30s, into their mid-30s. Mike Trout is going to be a very effective hitter at age 36. His his body's not going to break down. It will in the 
age 37, 38, 39 years, but he'll still even be an effective hitter then. He has great feel for the strike zone. His power is going to be fine. His positioning in the outfield will be based off experience and knowing the game. He's going to be a very effective player deep into this contract. And that's why it's not absurd to sign him up for 12 more years. There were journalists suggesting that they should explore trade. I'm not going to name them. A few of them are local. I'm not in the business of doing that. But it's just, it's pure stupidity. There's no prospect hall worth the gamble than giving up on a player like Mike Trout. I remember there was some sit-down interview a couple years ago with then-manager Mike Sosha of the Angels. And the interviewer was asking him if there was any possibility. And Mike Sosha cut him off. He said, no, 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 that's not happening. And the interviewer pressed again just to make sure, asking, are you sure there's no possibility? And Mike Sosha again cut him off and said, no, that's not happening. And rightfully so. While Sosha probably didn't have to get as irritated during this interview that I watched, it just rings true to the specialness that we are watching. Or maybe those that aren't watching. Because Mike Trout, it's not really his personality, which is why I think he signed up to, to stay in Anaheim, to stay in Orange County. I don't think he really wanted to go to Philadelphia, close to his New Jersey home in Millville. I don't think it's his style to market his brand, to market his personality. I don't think he wanted to worry about tickets out in Philadelphia and worry about all the interview requests and everything that comes with him being in a big market like Philadelphia. I think it's neat that he's going to be on one team his whole career. I think it's conducive for him. It's conducive for the Angels, who are a big revenue team, but have been strapped with some of the honoriest contracts that they've given out the past few years. Pujols, Hamilton, chief among them. The Angels, their farm system's getting better. I think they're probably two years away from really being competitive in the AL West. But they got the best player in baseball, signed him up correctly to the largest contract ever. And now they can go out and play ball. And for all those that ever thought it was a good idea to explore a trade for Mike Trout, shame on you. We're watching one of the greatest players of all time. The cool thing about Mike Trout being signed to a long-term deal now is that we're already seeing the effects from other players and contracts being handed out by their teams and signing them up for more years with their current clubs because there's really no rush or no need to wait things out anymore in free agency because the bidding war probably won't get that high with Mike Trout, the best player in the game, earning the highest salary. So we've seen things like Jacob deGrom. He just signed a deal with the Mets, five-year extension, $132.5 million. And then, of course, Paul Goldschmidt over here with the Cardinals in St. Louis. He also signed a pack for five years, $130 million. It's really kind of working as kind of a soft cap now that Mike Trout has signed up, and rightfully so. Theoretically, that's how it should work. The best players get paid the best, and that's what we're seeing now. And I think... Really, it's going to take probably Mookie Betts here in a couple of years who said he's willing to play out the arbitration process and head into free agency before extending anywhere on any team. He's not going to extend with the Red Sox. He's going to go to free agency. And I think we're going to see more guys just go ahead and sign up with their current clubs if they're happy, unless there's some contentiousness between them and their team. 
they really have the bar set because Trout signed his extension. And we've already, we're seeing a very weak free agent class coming out here next winter. Anthony Rendon highlights it currently. Madison Bumgarner. Um, a lot of different guys that are different stages of their careers. And right now, um, it could be even weaker given that Mike Trout has signed up. The troubling aspect of this, though, with me, and I was tweeting about it earlier before Trout signed his extension, was really all the young guys that are now signing extensions, guys that are years away from free agency, that are amongst the elite in the game, whether it's pure talent and they haven't played. Example, Aloy Jimenez, he signs a six-year contract worth $43 million, and then you have Alex Bregman, six-year, $100 million. He's more established than Aloy. And then you got Blake Snell. He signs a $50 million contract, and he just won the Cy Young. It's kind of upsetting to me. And again, I totally get why these guys do it. It's upfront security. You never know what can happen. Arm injuries. Your play tails off. Position change. Weakens your value. So many different aspects can go into it. So it's not that I blame them for taking the money up front. But the problem is, is that these are all elite guys. Whether you're established, Bregman, up-and-coming Snell, or just a pure talent, Aloy, who hasn't even played an inning in the big leagues. They're all taking the money up front. And it's not good for the health of the rest of the players. The middle-tier tier, the middle tier players, excuse me, and the bottom-feeder guys at the low end of the totem pole. Because if those guys, the elite, are willing to accept less than what their value is and not go year to year via the renewal process and then, of course, to the arbitration process, both of which are in your first six years in Major League Baseball, then those guys on the lower end are never going to make more money. And I wish more players would do it. I wish more players that are among the elite, like Mookie Betts, I wish they would take a page out of his book and just go year to year. Mookie Betts just got $20 million in arbitration, a record that might have been broken by Nolan or Arenado shortly thereafter. However, he did get an extension from the Rockies prior to that, or excuse me, thereafter. I just wish the elite would ride things out, of course, with the pendulum switching in arbitration. They're getting more help in arbitration than they used to. And more teams, I think, are going to go back to the go back to the theory that they don't have to simply file a trial. You give your number, player. We give our number as the team. And if we don't come to agreement, or if we're not aligned there, then we just go to the arbitration process. That's been the thing the last couple of years, but I think that's going to change now. I think they will get back to some middle ground. But really, I would just like to see the elite go, go and head to free agency because the elite will always be coveted because they simplify roster building. If you can have a player that brings in, you know, four, four plus wins, or if you're an elite player that brings in five to six plus wins, that really eases how you build your team from year to year, knowing that you got that guy signed up. Typically, or especially I should say, when he's in the prime of his career, someone like Mookie Betts who's going to be when he hits free agency. I'd like to see the elite bet on themselves a little bit more. I understand them taking the financial security, but for the health of the game and really to maximize their earnings, I really think they should go year to year, especially with arbitration 
favoring them more. Got to talk about Rob Gronkowski. He is hanging up his cleats after nine years in the National Football League. He will now go home to Buffalo, New York, or wherever he lives now. I'm sure he still has a home in Buffalo where he's from, but it's a nine-year career, a Hall of Fame career for Rob Gronkowski of the New England Patriots. The best tight end ever to play in the National Football League. I, You know, there's been some media members out there And this is really the fault of the media, in my opinion. There's been talk drummed up by them. Whatever they happen to look at, they say that there are plenty of people out there that say Rob Gronkowski isn't a Hall of Famer, which is just, that's just asinine on the part of the media. Because I think what the media is really guilty of in today's day and age is they just go to Twitter and see what people are saying and they take a very minute sample size. Remember that Twitter, only 7% of the U.S. uses it. And then as you get deep into the numbers of people that actually send out tweets on Twitter, it's even less than that. So Twitter is just a horrible representation of what people are saying when it comes to sport. But that's what the media uses nowadays because that's what really drums up headlines. That's what drums up conversation. And there's been talk about that, but anyone worth their salt understands that Rob Gronkowski is not only a Hall of Famer, he's the best to ever do it. And that's what I'm going to talk about. Rob Gronkowski is the best combination of size, speed, skill, and then, of course, that everything that comes along with just intangibles. Work ethic, dependability, consistency, model teammate. Rob Gronkowski is the whole package, and there probably won't be another one like him. Obviously, modern-day athletes are getting bigger, faster, stronger. But the intangibles are, I think, what really set him aside. His body took a beating. So while I do say that he was dependable, it really didn't speak to his availability so much as more, or as far as that the dependability on him running the correct route, running it precisely, coming up in big moment, moments. That's the dependability that I'm talking about with Rob. Rob was such a great player. But again, he was robbed of playing time via those injuries. I don't think it was any fault of his own. Teammates all the time. I remember Julian Edelman specifically endorsing him, talking about how he takes care of his body. Really, he was just a product of Gronk and his sheer size and having to defend him. His body really took some hits. It really took a physical toll, and I don't know how many injuries there were on Gronk's part that he could have avoided. The ACL was just, uh, that was an open field, the forearm, the back injuries. Just a product of being that big and being that hard to stop that you really have to punish a guy if you want to take him out of the ball game. And it had me thinking, and it's just a thought, but Rob Gronkowski, of course, was drafted in the 2010 draft one round before the late and evil human being Aaron Hernandez. And speaking strictly on Aaron Hernandez's physical gifts and football talents, Aaron Hernandez really was up there with Gronk. I'm not putting him at the same level as far as productivity or even talent and skill, but Aaron Hernandez had it all. You go back and watch some of the highlights of that guy, he was really, really good. And the thing that I've always pondered in my mind with all the playing time that Gronk missed 
and how much Bill Belichick values availability, making sure that his players are available to play in the games. That's one of the things that he covets the most. It made me think, given the fact that the Patriots handed out a contract extension after two years to Aaron Hernandez before Rob Gronkowski, this was under the old 2010 collective bargaining agreement rule, so it was permitted. It had me thinking, would Rob Gronkowski's career been a little bit different had Aaron Hernandez not been the awful human being that he was? They gave a contract to Hernandez first. He was a little bit different player. He had some injuries too. But handing out a contract extension to him before Rob, that in my eyes tells me that Belichick thought he was probably the one that would hold up under the physical toll that is the NFL. Not saying that Gronk wouldn't have been the spectacular player that he ultimately was, but maybe his career goes a little bit differently. Maybe after the 2015 season, maybe even before that, Rob is cut. He, he eventually got a contract extension shortly after Hernandez. But just goes to think, especially after this past offseason when there was reportedly a trade by Belichick to the Lions to send Gronk to Detroit, would things have been a little bit differently? Just something that I think about. Rob Gronkowski, excellent career, really sold, really monetized his party boy image, something that I think that was at the beginning maybe a little bit more real, but towards the end was more just eyewash. I really don't think he's this guy that is out clubbing every night. This is a guy who is, from his teammates, from his coaches, has been fully endorsed as a very studious, a guy that's first in, last out, at one Patriots way or Patriots place. Hell of a career, Rob. Thanks for nine years, a clinic every Sunday, and we will miss you. The other big news in the NFL, of course, is the owners and coaches meetings that is going on out in Phoenix. Those are about to wrap up here today, I believe. This is being recorded on Thursday, March 27th. And we already have the news that came out. Adam Schefter broke it just last evening, and that is offensive as well as defensive pass interference is going to be reviewable next year in 2019 in the NFL. Additionally, the non-calls on offensive and pass, or excuse me, offensive and defensive pass interference will be reviewable uh, for coaches on challenge and then two minutes, less than two minutes in the ball game, both in the first half as well as the second half. So big changes come in here in the NFL. I think it's a it's a solid experimentation, I think. Um, like most rules though, I think it just comes with a different set of problems. You could just be swapping out different issues for another. I think it is much better than going to all reviewable, especially adding non-calls under different circumstances, not just offensive and defensive pass interference, but this certainly eases those who are upset over what happened in the NFC championship game, Rams and Saints. I think ultimately it probably will hold up after the one-year experimentation just because all rules seem to do so unless they are just a total bomb uh, of you know a one-year uh, trial. So I think this will end up holding. But it's really 
it's going to be interesting to see when we're watching football games here next year, the frame-by-frame, slow-mo, how many how many calls are going to be ruled one way, but then the public sees it another way. We seem to always think in today's day and age with, again, the frame-by-frame and just close-up, slow-mo cameras that we have, all the different angles that we have via the national broadcast. It's going to be interesting to see do we really have conclusive evidence to overturn a call one way or other, however it's ruled on the field? I just, I really think it's going to lead to some uproar on that end. And there will be some calls that are corrected, and that'll be a good thing for the game. I'm one that likes the human element in the game, but I'm not one that wants it to totally di- dictate every call in the field. I'm okay with some replay, but it's a sl- slippery slope. And this is one that I think will it'll bear some close watching on the one-year experimentation. Because it's, it's going to be a hard call, I believe, on whether it was a success or not. But ultimately, with these one-year experimentations, they just they stick with them. That's just how it is. And I think that's how it's going to be with this one. However, it will be a closer call than on some of the previous rule changes. Additionally... The tabled overtime proposal that um, that'll be voted on in the in May, I believe it is. Yeah, the end of May at the owners' meeting. That sounds like it's picking up some steam. Sounds like owners do want to possess the ball each for their team whenever they go to overtime. So it sounds like that's probably going to be be changed here. Which you know, I'm always of the mindset that overtime is punishment. That if you don't like the rules. And particularly if you don't like the stakes when you head to overtime, you just need to play better during the four quarters. I think you really need to manage your game differently if you don't like what's at stake in overtime. But games do go to overtime, so I understand you need to have something that is structurally sound in place. So if this is the change you want to make, that's fine. But I really don't like after the fact people complain about overtime just because whether in some form or fashion or another, their interests got screwed because of the rules. The rules are the rules. You should play by them, and you should call the game accordingly to whatever rules are in place. So if you want to change overtime, fine, but enough with the enough with the complaining. The other one, and this is probably the one I'm most interested about, and I think it's absolutely absurd, was the proposal by the Denver Broncos to have a one-time option implemented. A one-time op- option implemented in the fourth quarter. A fourth and 15 on your own 35-yard line could take the place of an onside kick. You can essentially eliminate kicking to gain possession of the football, which is just dumb. It's just dumb because you're messing with the fabric of the game. I don't like when you have these rule changes. Baseball has been experimenting with this with their overtime, their extra innings in the minor leagues, and they're thinking about potentially adding it to the major leagues. Their proposal is putting a man on second base after so many extra innings to speed the game along and to crown a winner of that given match. I don't like when you add rules that all of a sudden, during the middle of a game, just changes it completely. And that's what this 4th and 15 at your own 35-yard line in the fourth quarter would do. It's just dumb. 
I'm glad that this got declined. This got defeated. It would have been stupid. All the fans that just want offense, 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 action, 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 this would have tailored to them, would have messed with the integrity of the game. I'm glad it got defeated. We've had a good good week of meetings from the owners and coaches meeting. Again, the NFL just keeps us churning. We keep talking about the NFL. We keep talking about everything that it entails, and it's great. I think it's awesome that we're talking about rules. That's how much we love the NFL. Keep it coming. I want some more. I just finished up watching a highlight hype tape, if you will, for the St. Louis Cardinals. It had Ozzie Smith narrating, had it showing different areas of St. Louis and, of course, Bush Stadium and the players and some of their big moments the last few seasons, getting us ready for the 2019 season, which, of course, will begin tomorrow on Thursday, March 28th. Milwaukee will be host to the Cardinals. They will kick off at 110 p.m. Central Time. So Cardinals are getting started. I'm going to use this now to forecast where I think their season's going to be, how I think they're going to end up. And I think the Cardinals did improve themselves this year. They added Paul Goldschmidt. They got Andrew Miller, who I think, of course, is going to be a, a great bullpen piece. Injuries aside, I think the floor of Andrew Miller is still very good compared to what the Cardinals had in the bullpen last year. They just they walked far too many, too many free passes, They did not strike out enough to give up the many walks, and I think their bullpen is going to be a lot better. I think their pitching depth is extremely good. I think it's extremely good when compared to the rest of Major League Baseball, and I think they have some high-end pitching talent to go along with some pitchers that are uh, going to be pretty stable. However, I just don't see enough complete hitters on this team. I don't see enough complete position players aside from Goldschmidt and Matt Carpenter. I think they do have offensive pieces that have very good redeeming qualities. However, in totality, I think it's going to put way too much pressure on manager Mike Schiltz as well as just other players to do what they do well and then, of course, mask their weaknesses on any given night. I think there's too much platoon area that needs to be executed here on manager Mike Schiltz's part, and I think there's too many streaks that if you ride it too long on the on the bad end of it, on their weakness, on their cold streaks. If you ride those players too long, it can lead to wins that are left off the table that ultimately become losses. That's why, ultimately, I think the Atlanta Braves are going to eke out the St. Louis Cardinals for a wild card spot. I have the Chicago Cubs winning this division. I think their lineup is just too... It's too dependable. It's too consistent. There's too many well-rounded players. Their rotation has some question marks. But ultimately, I think they are a good bunch that if they remain relatively healthy, I trust Theo Epstein to find someone that can fill in adequately. And their bullpen, I think, is going to be just fine. I like Tyler Chatwood out there for the Cubs. I think he's going to be a very useful piece for Joe Madden. And they they have some other guys who have done it, and they're good at unearthing guys during the season who can fill in in the bullpen. Jesse Chavez, an example from last season. I think the Cubs take this division. I don't think the Brewers can manage doing what they did last year, relying on their bullpen. It's already taken a hit. Corey Kniebel, if they sign Dallas Keuchel, right now he's a free agent. That could change things dramatically. But right now I don't trust their starting rotation to hold up from an innings perspective. And then if you tax the bullpen too much, it it will burn out. It's as simple as that. Their offense will be great. Defensively, 
They're awesome. They position themselves well with all the defensive shifts that they employ. But the Milwaukee Brewers, I think, will be in it till the end, but they'll run out of gas. The team that I think that will make the playoffs out of the NL Central is going to be the Pittsburgh Pirates. I think they are a very, very sound club. They have a criminally underrated bullpen. They are very good on the back end of games, and I think this is the year their starting rotation really pulls it all together. Jameson Tyon, you got Chris Archer, Trevor Williams, who is probably the best pitcher in the second half in the National League, perhaps. I think they really have a well-rounded pitching staff that's going to make it happen. And then, of course, their lineup has some pieces that really has always been interesting, but I think guys like Josh Bell, I think a young guy by the name of Cabrian Hayes is really going to be a big player for them this season. I think the Pirates make the playoffs in a wild card spot, and ultimately the Cardinals are just left out from this year in the 2019 postseason. I think they have a lot of good qualities about them. I think their pitching depth will prove to keep them in it till the end, but ultimately I think the Atlanta Braves are a more sound defensive club. They got Josh Donaldson in the mix. They got Nick Marcakis out there who can still patrol right field. He brings more on the offensive side. But Ronald Acuna, Ender Enciarte, Azia Albies, Freddie Freeman. You got Brian McCann back in Atlanta. He's a very smart defensive catcher. I think defensively, and the high-end pitching that the Atlanta Braves have acquired through their years of losing, they just they have a slight edge over the Cardinals. It's going to come down to a game or two, so ultimately the Cardinals could flip it the other way. But the way I see it here, the Atlanta Braves are going to keep the St. Louis Cardinals out of the playoffs. They just need to add a more complete player to their everyday lineup. I just don't think they have it. Marcelo Zuna, that shoulder is still hurt. It's still hurt. He showed up 25 pounds overweight to spring training. I don't think that bodes well for him getting started on the right foot. Ultimately, I think his numbers will be the same, probably a little bit better from last year. But when you when you show up out of shape, and he's not the only one, Jed Jerko's got a calf injury. Carlos Martinez doesn't know how to abide by his throwing shoulder program. Brett Cecil, I mean... Where do you even begin with him? I think the Cardinals are a very good club. Ultimately, I think the Atlanta Braves are just a little bit better. That's why the Cardinals are going to miss the playoffs in 2019. Okay, everyone, I just gave you my NL Central prediction. Again, that's going to be the Chicago Cubs. I think they win it. Their lineup is too good, too dependable. And the pitching side of things, they seem to just figure it out. Manager Joe Madden, great at mixing and mashing. Knows when to pull guys, knows when to let guys keep going. I think they'll be just fine in the rotation, and I think their bullpen, it's getting dinged a little too much than it should be. I think Pedro Strope, um, you got C-Sheck, and then, of course, Tyler Chatwood, who I just previously mentioned. I think he's going to be a big part of that bullpen here in 2019. I think they take the division. I think the Pittsburgh Pirates have a really big breakout year. I think this is where their lineup comes together. Switch hitting Josh Bell, he'll be a big part of that. And then Cabrian Hayes over at third base. I think he gets pulled up at some point, and we see just how special of an athlete he is. You got Starley Marte, very dependable. When he's off the juice, he's still a great player. Had a big second half, and I think the bullpen led by closer Felipe Vasquez. I think they're going to be great. I think they make the playoffs. The rest, I think St. Louis Cardinals, they're going to just miss out. Milwaukee Brewers, I think this is where the year their starting pitching 
comes and catches up with them. I don't think they can do what they did last year for an entire season. They ran out of gas in the American League Championship Series. That was longer than I thought they ever could go. But ultimately, I think this is the year that that catches up to them. I don't think they make the playoffs although they will be a powerful lineup and have a great defense out there. The Cincinnati Reds, they just don't have the pitching. It's not good enough. you got to have dependable starters out there. If Tanner Roark, Alex Wood, if those are your top guys, it's not going to happen. you got some good hitters, okay? Probably Maybe one of the best lineups in that division. Top to bottom, they can stroke it, but ultimately I don't think it's going to be enough. A little bit of age factor is going to catch up there with Matt Kemp. I don't know if playing Nick Senzel, their top prospect in center field, if that's going to work out. And Scott Shebler and company, they're just not true center fielders. I think they lack some some of the elements that you need to make it through a 162-day grind. I don't think it happens. Moving on to the NL Central, or excuse me, the NL East, I think the Washington Nationals are going to be the best team in baseball. I think Mike Rizzo built through free agency some very shrewd moves that are going to make them a very complete team. They got a great catching combination. Kurt Suzuki along with Jan Gomes, probably one of the biggest offseason moves as far as just middle of the road. Jan Gomes had an excellent offensive season last year. He's going to do wonders for that pitching staff, who is mighty, mighty good. You got Patrick Corbin, six years, $140 million to tag along with Max Scherzer, who I think is going to win the Cy Young Award. And then, of course, Steven Strasburg. And then they got some guys, Eric Fetty. Uh, Joe Ross is still in the system. I think they play some big key roles for the Nationals this year. And you still got a great lineup. Juan Soto, probably one of the better prospects you'll ever see as far as five tools refined at that level. They're going to make them the NL East champions here in 2019. The Phillies, I don't think it's going to happen for them. Okay, great lineup, but the regression from Jared Eikhoff I think is going to happen. I think Vince Velasquez is somewhat of an up-and-down pitcher. It's either all or nothing. I like Jake Arrieta, but his... His motion, his mechanics seem to be taxing him a little bit, and I think he's going to be a very solid starter, but we've seen the days of elite. I think those have passed him by. Aaron Nola is going to be elite. He'll head that rotation. They'll be in it till the end, but I don't see it happening. The New York Mets, yeah, they're good. Free agency, they made some moves. They built a nice bullpen, but ultimately it's going to be the same old thing. That rotation cannot hold up. They have no reinforcements in place. Jason Vargas is their fifth starter. I don't think it can happen for the Mets. Someone will get hurt, and it'll dink them too much, but they'll be in it probably until the very end. The rest of the way, you got the Miami Marlins. I think they've been playing some clean ball. Yeah, they've been pretty solid. They've been playing some solid baseball fundamentally. I think that you'll see that they're going to be a team that competes and that they play hard, but ultimately they lack talent. They're years away from contention. I already mentioned the Atlanta Braves. They're going to be in there from the wild card standpoint. They got too much pitching on that end. I think that too too high end of talent, excuse me, I think it just bodes well for them. They're going to be one of the better defensive clubs in baseball, and they got some absolute power. Freddie Freeman is going to be vying for an MVP candidacy as well as Ronald Acuna. Ender Enciarte, I think he makes some strides forward. Nick Markakis will be steady Eddie out there in right field. Ozzie Albies will learn what it means to play 162 games. I think the NL East will have representatives both from the Atlanta Braves and the Washington Nationals, the best team in baseball. Moving on to the American League West. Really same old story here. Los Angeles Dodgers are going to win it, and they don't even seem afraid that two of their starting pitchers had a very late start to spring training. Clayton Kershaw won't be the opening day starter. Ross Stripling, of course, or not Ross Stripling, excuse me, Walker Buehler was pushed back 
his spring training before he made his debut. They're going to be just fine. They have an abundance of pitching. They still have a great lineup. Corey Seager's coming back. He's one of the best players in the game. One of the best. He's probably going to put up a weighted runs created of like 130. He's not even going to miss a beat. He's one of the best out there. You got Justin Turner, a remade outfield. Cody Bellinger is going to have a big bounce back here. I think A.J. Pollock is going to be steady. He's going to miss some games, probably overpay for him, but he's a good get for them at this point and where they are with their franchise. The San Francisco Giants, good bullpen, but they're going to be the worst team probably in that division. They're just too old. They have no outfielders. They're not going to be any good. Manny, Manny Machado and the San Diego Padres, they'll be okay, but ultimately they're just not there. They're too young. They're starting pitching a suspect. I don't know what there is to get excited about as far as who opens the day for them each night on the mound. Nobody's dependable. Got a lot of talent, but you got to see some of that come to fruition at the major league level. The Colorado Rockies, yeah, they're going to bash, but ultimately the runs that they score when adjusted for park and league averages, it's going to be right up there in the middling of the pack. I just think their pitching probably played above water last year. Kyle Freeland, who I'm a big fan of, I think he has a great season. Herman Marquez is also very good, but ultimately, when you go beyond that, I don't think it's enough. I think their bullpen is just, it's overpriced, it's overpaid, and they're not that good. The Arizona Diamondbacks, a very, I think, club that's probably getting knocked a little bit more than they should. I think they got some starters that could be pretty good and could keep them in a lot of games. If they piece together some something on the offense side of the ball, they could still be all right. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs or anything, but you got Zach Godley, you got Robbie Ray, who they need a bounce back season from, and Zach Greinke, one of the most astute pitchers in the game today. I think the or excuse me, the Dimebacks, they do okay, but ultimately it's not enough. They just lack the high-end talent. If we move over to the American League, the Boston Red Sox, the reigning World Series champions, I think they get upended by the New York Yankees. Too much bullpen on their on their side, too much firepower on the offense side of the ball. They're going to hit a lot of home runs. They're dinged up with injuries right now, but ultimately they have some depth that I think this team can win over 100 games. I think they take it. I think the Red Sox, after years of wheeling and dealing, the reinforcements aren't there. Whenever injuries happen, I don't think the reinforcements from neither the minor league levels as well as dealer Dave, dealer Dave Dombrowski, I don't think he can pull off the trades like he has in the past. Steve Pierce. Drew Pomeranz, those trades are done. They don't have the prospects to do it anymore. If they get hit with some injuries, which ultimately every team does, but they had a pretty clean bill of health last year, I think they're going to be uh, they're going to come up short in the division this year. But they have, I do have them as a wild card spot along with the Rays. The Rays love their pitching, man, love their pitching. They are just full of it, and I think their lineup is also very good. I think Willie Adames, Tommy Pham. Austin Meadows, you got Avisail Garcia, that Heredia guy from Seattle, Matt Duffy from the Giants from a few years ago. This is a team that has some pretty good hitters, and I think if they play the great, or excuse me, the correct brand of baseball, they can score a lot of runs, and you combine that with the pitching, I think they're going to be pretty good. The opener, of course, that's going to be something to watch. How long can that hold up? If you mix and match wrong, can that potentially just put you out of games, essentially? That'll be something to watch, but I think Kevin Cash is really becoming one of the better managers in the game, especially given his circumstances with the low market that is Tampa Bay. The Baltimore Orioles, it's going to be an absolute grease fire. It's going to be a long year. Watch out. And then, of course, you have the you got the uh, Toronto Blue Jays over there. I think they really are building something, but they're just not quite there yet. I think they got some starting pitching. Aaron Sanchez, um, Marcus Stroman, those guys are going to be 
highly sought after at the trade deadline. It'll be interesting to see if they keep them along, but ultimately Toronto just lacks a bullpen that can keep you throughout an entire season. They just don't have any bullpen. It's not going to be good enough. I think they got some good players, Brandon Drury. Um, they got Kevin Pillar out there in center fielder. I like Teoscar Hernandez, Anthony Alford, a couple of their outfielders. And then, of course, they just they got all these stars coming up here uh, in a couple of years. But ultimately, I think it's maybe next year that we can talk about them being a playoff contender. But right now, Blue Jays, they're pitching. They got a couple of high-end starters. But beyond that, in their bullpen, it's just not going to work out for them here in 2019. Moving on to probably the easiest division and the last one, the AL Central, the Cleveland Indians. This is a team that is still built for the postseason. They got great pitchers, great pitchers. I think they had five guys in their starting rotation strike out 200 or more. That is fabulous. They're also going to have the Cy Young Award winner, Corey Kluber, this year. Yes, I think he gets his third one. I think they take this division easily. They didn't do much in the offseason, and rightfully so. Some people thought they should just go for the throat. I say, why add if you don't have to? Kansas City Royals, it's going to be awful. Chicago White Sox, yeah, they got some talent. They got some pitching, but ultimately they just can't hold up. Those hitters are too young. There's still much to prove on that end. The Minnesota Twins, they can bash it a little bit, but there's no pitching on their end. Kyle Gibson, Jose Barrios, I don't think that's enough. Jake Odorizzi, you need more than that. Their bullpen is solid, not spectacular. Too much hinges on Miguel Sano and Byron Buxton. I don't think it's enough. They'll hit some home runs. They'll stay in it probably until, I don't know, July or so. Then they'll be out of it. The Tigers, they are deep, deep into retooling their team. They're just, they're nowhere near. They don't have any star power. Their best pitcher, Michael Fulmer, he's going to be out for the year. They just don't really have much talent as far as what is proven. They're much like the White Sox in that regard, except the White Sox have a lot of the higher-end talent in all of baseball. I think this is going to be the easiest division to predict. The Indians take it, and I also think the Indians go deep into the playoffs. For the rest of my predictions, for the playoffs, for who is going to win the World Series, check out my Twitter account, at Pete4C. That's where you'll find all of my predictions. Okay, everyone, that's going to do it for episode 11 here on the podcast. I appreciate you listening. A lot of jam-packed information on that one. We had a lot to talk about there from the NFL, the rule changes, Gronk retiring, and then, of course, MLB season starting tomorrow. Enjoy opening day. Enjoy opening day. I know I will. I will be going over to Kauffman Stadium, I believe. I'm going to see the Royals. I'm going to see the White Sox. going to be an absolute barn burner. Enjoy opening day. Hit me up with questions. Hit me up with comments. Slide up in those DMs, at Pete4C, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, what have you. Hit up that text line, 816-226-7483. Let me know what you think. Leave some voicemails. I want to hear what you think about the world of sports. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.